Hello and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just fix movies, but ask, maybe, sort of, kind of, couldn't they be better? I'm your host, Tony, and with me always is the Padawan I've trained since I was young, the one that's like a brother to me, and the one that was supposed to bring balance to this podcast, not destroy it. <laughs> There's no plug for a chosen one? I don't, I don't get a chosen one plug? I don't know. Are you the chosen one you were supposed to be? You were supposed <laughs> to be? Uh, it's Matt, everybody. I'm also here on this podcast today. Tony, Matt, how, you doing? how you doing? No, I asked you first. Oh. <laughs> uh no yeah i'm i'm uh i'm surviving i we've we've finally done it we finally finished all three of the star wars prequels well we haven't finished yet we still got to talk about star wars episode three revenge of the sith uh okay yeah so before we do that shall i go ahead and just sum up what's been going on yeah, let's let's give our audience because I'm sure a lot of listeners, and by a lot I mean a few, uh, haven't seen this movie probably since it first came out. So a quick synopsis would be completely in order. All right, I'll do my best. I'm no Jessa Ducci. <laughs> so we start out on Revenge of the Sith with a space battle. It looks like we're over Coruscant, the big uh, capital of this galaxy. And the Separatist army, that's the droids, are trying to make off with Emperor Palpatine, who is also Darth Sidious, though I don't think it's ever clear who knows that. Yeah, or... we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Go, yeah. Proceed. So we get Anakin and Obi-Wan doing some high flying into the main ship, doing some fighting some droids and some trying to ride an elevator. Yes, that was difficult for them. Then fighting a Count Dooku, the villain of the attack of the clones and when obi-wan gets incapacitated anakin disarms dooku literally you're welcome and it, through palpatine's urgings decapitates him showing hey this is getting dark next they run around the ship some more with palpatine to try and escape and instead sort of crash land the ship on coruscant that's nice and we see Anakin later finds Padme, and she tells him she's pregnant, which I want to point out, she's not showing right now, so I'm assuming it's kind of more recent, though they talk about how long it's been since they've seen each other. Uh, more fan theories for that later. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the Jedi Council and the, I guess, Republic Army are trying to find Grievous. The Jedi Council seems really bent on getting this war over because Emperor Palpatine, he's not an emperor yet, sorry, Chancellor Palpatine. I mean, he's pretty much an emperor and everything but name at this point because he's got so much executive power. Uh, that's not a commentary for now at all. And, <laughs> he, and so we, uh, we, they, pardon me, not we, we have nothing to do with this. They make the focus finding General Grievous because they believe taking him out will once and for all kind of shut down the Separatist army. Anakin, spending some alone time with Panikin, has another one of his bad dreams, one of his ill omens, that shows her dying during um, complications during uh, birth. This dream sort of reminds him of the dreams he had right before his mom died, so he is severely panicked. And talks to his good good bunny bunny his talks to his good good buddy chancellor palpatine they've apparently been getting on really well 
and the council knows it is not real keen on it and palpatine knows it and knows no one's really keen on it but he's just like screw it i like you i want you to be my representative in the jedi council and the jedi council's like okay we'll we'll have that but we're not going to promote you to the rank of master and anakin true to anakin form gets really whiny about this because for some reason he wanted to be a jedi master like today and he seems just kind of wah about it. Right? He's like, I, I get to be on the council, but I can't be a master. Uh. So a lot of stuff happens, but I'm going to summarize it because actually a lot of stuff doesn't really happen. Obi-Wan gets sent after to follow a lead on where Grievous might be with a whole army of clones. And Anakin kind of just chills, reporting back to Palpatine. Obi-Wan finds Grievous pretty quickly and... Palpatine reveals himself and most of his plan to Anakin. So two things are kind of evolving at once. And it's it's almost genius if you see it from Palpatine's perspective. Because Obi-Wan takes Grievous down pretty much in a one-sided fight. I mean, Grievous gets a few shots in. We introduce an unnecessary chase. Uh, Grievous spins four lightsabers. Like, that's going to do anything to a Jedi. And then Obi-Wan takes him out like the punk he is. I love when he says, I've learned the ways of the Jedi, and then he just starts swinging lightsabers around. It's like, <laughs> oh, so you watched a YouTube video about Jedi. Right, he's that kid in the garage. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Meanwhile, Anakin kind of freaks out that his buddy Palpatine is actually... Like knows the ways of the Sith, goes and tells Mace Windu because oh yeah, not to Yoda's mention on. Palpatine at this point has dropped so many hints. I mean, mm-hmm. he's all but said that he's a Sith Lord, so that when he finally does reveal it to Anakin, Anakin's like, do what? And everyone's <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I think that's a long line of consistency with these prequels that prove that Anakin is a dunce. But <laughs> I think I wrote that exact thing in my notes. I I, uh, I wrote, I stole a line from the Defenders when Stick calls the immortal Iron Fist a thundering dumbass. I feel like that was the appropriate the appropriate description for Anakin in these three movies. But Mace Windu decides he's going to listen to Anakin and go check out the Chancellor. He's going to bring some Jedi with him. But Anakin, you need to stay back. If if this pans out, I'm going to trust you. And I'm thinking, that was actually really smart of Mace Windu because Anakin's always looking for that like validation. But it's just too little too late at this point because Anakin shows up to see Mace Windu having beaten the emperor i mean it's kind of clear to the audience the emperor is letting this happen so anakin can see him and have to make oh for sure especially because base windu samuel l jackson shows up with three other jedi that are cut down like literally in one second like really did they have no training is that what happened or is the is palpatine just that much of a badass with a lightsaber it's very unclear yeah but now Anakin is faced with the choice. Windu has decided that Chancellor Palpatine has amassed too much power and can't be taken down by the legal system. He's got it wrapped around his finger. Yep. He has to end this. And and at first I thought, maybe this is out of character, but you watch Windu like conflict with this idea. He's not striking Palpatine down in rage. He's resolving to do this. Yeah, and I it's, thought it's, that was it's some still good... calculated. It turns out Samuel L. Jackson can act. That's awesome. Who knew? Uh, no, that sounds like I'm making fun of Jackson. No, he's great. These these movies just never gave him a chance until now. 
And I think what you're what you're trying to land on. It turns out there are some redeemable traits in this movie. Who knew? Yes. So big surprise. Anakin chooses to save Palpatine, and cuts the hand off of uh, Mace Windu, thereby disarming him. You're welcome. And removing his lightsaber, freeing up Palpatine to force lightning him out the window. But, uh, and I don't want to get into the fan theories yet, that's all we see. Still, that's all we see of Mace Windu for the rest of this movie. So, moving on, Anakin's a bit distraught. What did I do? And that's when Palpatine just full-on reels him in. Three movies of getting into Anakin's brain just goes, no, 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 you're going to join me. I'm going to help you save Padme from those visions you were having, which you must have told me about off screen, because this is the first I'm mentioning it or having a conversation. Well, no, he you. even said, because Anakin says, like, how do you know about that? And I, I think, possibly being generous, that that this entire time Palpatine not necessarily has been able to read his mind, but certainly gets glimpses of his mind. Mm-hmm. I think that's okay. that's exactly why he has the conversations he has with Anakin and knows exactly which buttons to push with Anakin. I'll give it to you. Sorry this recap is taking so long, but I think we're getting rid of some of my initial just issues with this so we can mm-hmm. move forward. All right, so Anakin, true to form, goes full-blown 180 and becomes, you know, Palpatine's next right-hand man, his next Sith apprentice. and He's they given his up... name. That Yeah, I'll get to that in just a second, because before that happens... They make up some flimsy thing that the Jedi have attacked the Chancellor, and now that's the new enemy they have to fight, and they take a bunch of clone soldiers and just go wipe out the Jedi. Oh, but he's given the name before that. He's 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 made Darth Vader and then told, because, you know, he fully solidifies him as a Sith apprentice at this point, gives him the okay. name Darth Vader and says, the Jedi cannot be trusted, they must all be taken out. That went really fast then. I must have looked down and missed that. But, okay, I hear you. That or we had different cuts. I watched mine on Disney+, Plus and I hear some of the films are a little bit different. But that's that's neither here nor there. He's Darth Vader now. He's full Sith Apprentice to soon-to-be Emperor Palpatine, and he cuts down a bunch of uh, kids, Jedi younglings. He just whoop, guns them down, or sabers them down, and that... That's not even, I think, the worst thing he does in this movie. But, you know, he's a bad guy now, so this is, again, on point. Let's uh, let's move this along. Chancellor Palpatine issues Order 626. I mean, um, <clears throat> 66. <laughs> Sorry, 626 is later when they give the franchise to Disney. No one's going to get that joke. I think you underestimate our three fans. <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> But all the clones suddenly turn on all the Jedi all over the galaxy and start gunning them down, and the Jedi start going down like chumps, one after the other, getting taken out by these clones. Now, it's not made clear in these movies, or it's not really stressed in these movies, but in later shows that you know focus on the Clone Wars and comics and things like that, we come to understand that the Jedi and the clones has, uh, that have fought together for what has essentially been years now in this clone war have become really close to each other. We see a little bit of that with Obi-Wan and one of the League clones, but 
the idea is, is that the Jedi go down so easily because these are their trusted war compatriots, and to see them turn on them is just not something they expect. You could argue force powers like Yoda's should have warned them, but I don't know. I I feel like the big fail here was the gravitas was lost, and we just see a bunch of unknown Jedi go down, and Yoda behead a couple clones, and Obi-Wan get away, and let's fast forward to Obi-Wan and Yoda and Senator Bail Organa, who we have seen in previous movies, but is finally getting some, like, play. Like, we get to, like, really understand who this is. This is, you know, going to be Leia's adopted father. Spoiler. And they all put together what's happened. That the Chancellor has been playing both sides. That he's taking out the Jedi. And there's, like, a beacon calling the Jedi back to the Jedi Temple. But it's really a trap. And Yoda and Obi-Wan are going to go take that out. Yoda's going to try and take out the Chancellor. They do everything. They get they get to the Jedi uh, Temple. They review the hollow logs, and that's when Obi Wan knows without a doubt that Anakin has turned. That Anakin has become Darth Vader, and now Obi Wan has to go and stop Anakin, while Yoda tries to stop Chancellor Palpatine. Obi Wan uses Padme basically to find Anakin. He is able to put together pretty quickly that she's pregnant with his child, which, by the way, she's showing now. So this, th- though it never feels like it in the movie, this means months have passed. And, you know, at least unless pregnancies in the Star Wars galaxy work differently. So she's like about to pop. But she doesn't want to believe that Anakin's gone bad, which almost at this point I could because of her lack of involvement in this film, I could believe that she's in denial about it. And she runs off to where Anakin said he was going in her spaceship, and Obi-Wan sneaks aboard, unbeknownst to her. Which does not go over well when she starts trying to talk Anakin down, and he sees Obi-Wan just standing all boss at the top of the ramp of her ship, because that's not going to like just infuriate him. And he starts to fo- force choke his wife, which, hmm, marital abuse in Star Wars. Didn't know, didn't see that coming, but there it is. And she goes unconscious. And Obi-Wan, with a little bit of, you really let me down. I really believed in you. I can't believe you're doing this. Then just, they whip out lightsabers and they start having a lightsaber fight. They're on a volcanic planet. Meanwhile, Yoda has encountered Chancellor Palpatine. And they start having a, lot, a lightsaber fight. They're in the Hall of the Senate. And we cut back and forth between the two lightsaber fights. And really, Yoda and Palpatine's turns into more of a throw stuff at you with the force fight, which is sort of the opposite of the Dooku-Yoda fight, where they threw stuff at each other and said, well, that's not going to work. We got to use lightsabers. It sort of went the other way with Palpatine and Yoda. And I think the only thing I'll say real quick about these fights is is they cut back and forth in the most like awkward way. But I'll get, a, I'll, I'll get into that more later. Yoda loses against Palpatine, but not so much that he's gone down, just so much that he fell down and then decided, well, I'm done, and bails. And Anakin and Obi-Wan's just keeps going forever until after fighting all over this station and swinging from ropes and bouncing on little hovercraft above molten lava, Obi-Wan gets like about a four-foot advantage and Anakin tries, to, like, of height, the high ground, as they call it, and Anakin tries to jump at him, and Obi-Wan 
severs all three of his limbs except for the robotic one. I thought that was an interesting choice. And gives him one more kind of just, you really let me down, picks up his lightsaber and, and outs. You know, didn't, 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 wasn't going to finish him, was going to let him burn to death via molten lava, which I think is less kind. I think you're completely right. I was thinking, I, I was thinking that as well. Like, it would have been kinder to finish him than to just let him get consumed with lava fire. Mm hmm. But this gives Emperor Palpatine, Palpatine time to show up. I mean, never mind how long it takes him to fly from Coruscant to there. He's just there. And there's Anakin still clinging to life because he didn't actually fall into the lava. But he's got that robot arm just holding on. And Palpatine shows up, gets him the medical attention he needs. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan's picked up Padme because she's still unconscious, taking her to get medical attention, where she starts going into labor and is dying. And the droid diagnosis is, is that she lost the will to live. Apparently, this droid didn't get uh, files on marital spouse abuse and how that could complicate pregnancy. But, you know, <laughs> call it what you will, she uh, gives birth to Luke and Leia, which, let's be real here, we all know Leia came out first. My wife's a set of twins, a set from twins, and it's just, it's just one of those things where you know, you know which one came out first, even if the parents won't say, and it was Leia. Just watch the next set of trilogies. And then Anakin, in the meantime, is getting fitted for all the Vader prosthetics. He's got legs and arms and the suit, and then on comes the helmet, and then he sort of wakes up and is all asking Emperor Palpatine, where's Padme? And Palpatine, everybody's like, he tricks him. No, he doesn't trick him. He tells him exactly what happened. You killed her. <laughs> it's like, that may, there may have been like a delay. She gave birth, you killed her. But the truth is, he killed her. And, you know, Vader now rips himself off the medical table and starts crushing things with the force all around him and screams, no. In James Earl Jones's voice. Yeah. <laughs> Mimicking thus the feelings of everybody in the theater at this point. <laughs> I, I want to point out something. I, I actually assumed that Palpatine straight up lied to Vader in this moment when he says that you killed her. I think it's implied. I think that's what we're supposed to think. I'm just arguing that he's actually telling him the truth. If like, I believe that if Anakin had not, you know, choked out a pregnant woman to unconsciousness, maybe there wouldn't have been complications. Basically the foreboding of his warning, he ended up becoming, through trying to stop it, he helped fulfill it, which uh, the movie does a bad job of portraying, and maybe that's not even where it was going, but it, it's to me it just seems the only only solution, because lost will to live is just something I'm not going to acknowledge. Right, that, I, I completely agree. There's just so much wrong with that on so many levels. So we're almost done here. Because Obi-Wan and Senator Organa have decided that they're going to split the children, the new twins, thus solidifying the need for a Star Wars parent trap reboot later on. <laughs> and you know you want it. Oh, I do. I really, really do. <laughs> this way, this way they can keep uh, these force sensitive children away from, you know, out of the uh, view of the Empire. And thus setting up. The original trilogy. Right. I mean, we're we're now in line for everything for the original trilogy. There's not much left except for Yoda to tell 
Obi-Wan that he knows how to talk to Force ghosts. So, oh yeah, we've got that covered now. And we see Senator Organa just kind of show up with to his wife and go, Hi, hon. I brought a, I brought a kid home. Right. I know you said to stop and get bread, but I actually kind of got a baby. So, sorry. Yeah, it's a politics thing. And then she she cocks her head to the side and puts her hands on her hips and says, I told you never to bring work home with you. And then the studio audience laughs. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would have liked that. No, but uh, we see Obi-Wan drop off Luke to Owen and Brew Lars on the homestead of Tatooine that we've seen in A New Hope. And they do the same pose that Luke does later, staring at the twin sons. And that's supposed to be symbolic. And we cut to credits. And that's it. That's the end of our prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Revenge of the Sith, Matt? So I think the the main my main takeaway was this one wasn't as bad as I remembered it that there was actually a lot going for it. Um, but like, the, especially the last film, like Attack of the Clones, there's just so much lack of like unified vision. There's lack of uh, consistent tone. There, there's, there's a lot not working in this movie that's, that offsets quite a bit the things that do work in this movie. So um, the gist of it is, I actually, I think I like this one the best of the three, um, but mostly because, again, I feel like I can see the most potential in this one. How about you? What did, what did you think of this one? I can't disagree with you there. Something I've always been, that's always been said to me when I bring up the prequels and just my sort of disdain for them is inevitably someone will say, yeah, but the third one isn't that bad meaning that the third one is not as bad as Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. And mm-hmm. yes, I I will I will agree with that wholeheartedly. And I agree with you. There was some serious potential in this one. But watching this film again, I haven't watched it since it came out in theaters, not because of oh no, gross. It was just I I didn't feel the urge. And watching it again now, I remember why this film solidified in me the desire not to want or ask for more. Not necessarily because this film was the one that did it. It was sort of like the last nail in the coffin for me. And it was every time they would try and set the stage up for New Hope. They had to, like, there was just a driving force. The Look, this is that thing that's going to be a New Hope. Look, this is that thing that's leading the New Hope in the original trilogy. We're we're getting there. He's going to become Vader. Like, all of that driving there was... The point of these prequels was to give you the origin of the trilogy that was good. And they're really just kind of locking it in, locking in all the ticking all the boxes at this point, because this is the last movie. And it just sort of just sort of took the wind out of my sails. And it, mm-hmm. and it was starting to do that again this time. And I, I don't mean to sound really, really dour. If you, if you like these movies, good on you. And a lot of people do, especially uh, the younger generation that grew up with them, just like I grew up with the original Star Wars movies. And that's fine. But yeah, I think my problem with this movie stands that it's it didn't do any better. It didn't redeem the other two, and I really needed it to because it it just leaves the overall sour taste in your mouth. But 
I think there is a fix here, and I, I don't want to end on such a just. I don't want to like leave it at such just a, a sad note. I, I we do need to cover some things that really fell fell flat in this movie, yeah. but there are some good things, like you said, and I want to focus on those, and I want to fix things around them to make it better. I agree, and, and I think I think you're right. You, the primary downfall of this movie is that it didn't really fix the problems of the previous films. And probably most importantly, when you're creating a prequel trilogy that eventually has to connect to an established trilogy, an established canon, it's just, it didn't do a good job. There's a lot of things that just get kind of like, like you just said, they get kind of thrown on screen at the last minute, like, okay, well, this obviously has to happen, this has to happen, this has to And it doesn't feel organic. It doesn't feel like the way the, that it would have played out at least not in in tone and in pacing it was just like this movie was so long this movie was two and a half hours long and there was so much time that was kind of wasted on like you said chase scenes and lightsaber duels and things like that that obviously you have to have some of those in a star wars film but you also need to do more work to a step to, to connect yourself to the greater canon and I think that's that's the the main place this movie falls short for me. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I think I want to really focus for at least a moment here on what worked in this movie. Um, do you want to you want to start, or you want me to give a couple couple things? No, I've got my. If we're talking about what worked, and I'm down to do that first, just to kind of bring us up. I wanna I wanna give props to the creation overall of the character Chancellor Palpatine. I said in Attack of the Clones how I sort of missed his bigger plan just because it was always it was always in dialogue that didn't really seem to fit what was happening at the time. It was just sort of a obfuscated almost to us as much as it was to the Jedi Council. But coming back to this movie Chancellor Palpatine, Emperor Palpatine, from movie one to definitely this one, has had a very clear goal, and he has fully achieved it by the end of this movie. He is the Emperor, and it was done through playing both sides, creating threats and fear, and then continually upping the ante and receiving more power and while we don't see it directly there's always a nod to it it's always acknowledged now that I'm paying more attention to these movies I see it it it, and it actually gives me a little bit of sympathy for the Jedi Council he really kept them running in circles with this war he really for sure they they couldn't pinpoint on him because they were so busy and they were always suspicious of him but they didn't have the only reason they had any evidence to act is because he told Anakin and knowing that Anakin would go tell, go tell them because he set them up to attack him to be the next villain of the piece. Yeah, he he really uh, he was playing everyone the whole time. And I, I think along this lines, I want to point out something that occurred to me in this movie was Ian McDermott, who plays Palpatine, gets a lot of credit in in, in these three movies, actually in in. And six movies because um, he he actually played Palpatine back in the day. They I think we talked about this in the last podcast, but he he has been Palpatine from day one, from the original trilogy to this prequel trilogy to I think we're we're being uh, teased the idea that he might be making a return in the next Star Wars movie that comes out in December. I think it's more than teased. And I think there's a part in Revenge of the Sith where he talks about 
the Darth Plagueis, the Jedi Master that learned how to prevent death except to for himself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a nod because mild spoiler, if you don't want to know this, fast forward 30 seconds in the in the old comics and the old novelizations emperor palpatine does come back because he set up ways to clone himself and Ah. that's a thing and the trailers now for the latest for the the last skywalker return of the skywalkers or whatever it's called is 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 hinting that he's coming back and this there's pre-existing lore that could support that very quickly but what's interesting about revenge of the sith is they nod to it then because those comics and those books had already been written so it was sort of a nod that there might have always been an intent in the films to bring back palpatine since the prequels and i kind of went whoa that's that's kind of whoa (laughs) right but yeah, I just I, I want to point out, I think Ian McDermott is really good as Palpatine, specifically in this movie. There's a conversation that he has with Anakin uh, at the Senate. They're watching this like big bubble show. And that 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 conversation, that whole dialogue is, I think, one of the highlights of the whole movie. It's a really good scene where you can see Palpatine playing Anakin and setting up everything that happens in this film. And I don't I just think he's really good. I think you're right about um, Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, we're not going to pretend like we're surprised that he's a good actor, but I think his performance in this movie gets a little overshadowed by a lot of the things that don't work in this movie. Uh, But he was really he's really good in it. And I know you were sort of hinting at it earlier. There's definitely fan theories that Mace Windu is not actually dead because much like the Emperor in uh, Return of the Jedi you see him electrocuted and you see him fall, but you know, Jedi are apparently a very um, hardy stock because mm-hmm. there's so many times in these movies where they should definitely have broken ribs or like when they're fighting on a volcano lava flow, they're like, they have one little bead of sweat. Like, I guess they're just mm-hmm. made stronger than other human like <laughs> beings. The answer is the force. So he could Obviously. still be there. I, I, I do have to interject, just for our diehard fans, at the end of Jedi, when Palpatine is thrown down the, the chasm, there is sort of like an explosion and a whoosh that kind of comes back and blasts Vader, like, off his feet. I think that was to suggest, you know, the that was supposed to be the power of Palpatine, like, exploding and leaving his body. We could be wrong. He, he could, that Palpatine could still be alive, or there could be a completely fresh clone body somewhere uh, for us to see. That's another podcast. You asked what I like, and there's one more thing that I've given to a nod to in each one of these movies, and I gotta give a nod to it, to it here. I like my boy Ewan. My boy Ewan is smiling and and just having fun this whole film. I I, I got a fanboy erection when he drops down behind General Grievous and just goes, hello Hello there. there. (laughs) And I was just, oh, yeah. And he just, you know, he's got to do battle with a four-armed CGI lightsaber wielding robot. And he just gets a big grin on his face like he's like, yeah, this is what I want. And I got to give props to... Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, because it says in the trivia on IMDb, they spent two months training uh, their lightsaber duel. And at the end, they didn't have to alter the speed of the film because those two could just do it. And while I've got a lot of problems and issues with the choreography of lightsaber duels in these movies, I just props to them for for going for it and and really wanting to play with lightsabers because that that speaks to my true fan heart you know it's the small little remain of it beating boom 
boom. And it just starts growing when you hear stuff like that. So th- those are the things I like in this film or the, the evolution of Emperor Palpatine and my boy Ewan McGregor because he's just so, so likable. Yeah, Ewan, um, I, I think this is strangely maybe the weakest of the three movies for Ewan, but he's still really good in this movie. And I remember the first time I saw this movie, his little monologue at the end about you are the chosen one. I remember thinking it was kind of cheesy and and, and no good. I it, it hit me different this time around. I, I was like, that's actually it, it's almost I think the problem is that so much of this movie kind of has this slapstick kind of kids movie vibe that when we get to serious scenes, we can't we almost can't even take them seriously because that's not the expectation that's been set up until that point. But really that scene on its own or and like I said that scene with with uh, Palpatine in the Senate are really good pieces of like drama. They're just separated by these weird scenes with droids and aliens that sound like muppets and stupid scenes really. And yeah. that, that's where I go back to. I think the one of the biggest flaws in this movie is that lack of of, t- of of unified like vision and tone of what we're getting into. And we we've talked about that since we did the Phantom Menace movie fix that there are times when this feels like a direct to DVD kids film. And there are times where this feels like a legit star Wars film and it never quite makes up its mind what it's, what it's trying to do. But yeah, a, a couple other quick things that I, I think work. There are some visual effects in this movie that still, I think, hold up really, really well. Um, that whole opening space battle that kind of throws back to Phantom Menace because they're fighting the Trade Federation. Um, that whole The visual effects in that whole opening scene were actually really, really well done. And it's kind of like with the last movie. It's weird because there'll be other scenes where the visual effects do not hold up at all. And it's it's very inconsistent when when they've got it nailed down and when they don't. Uh, yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Was there anything else you wanted to give a nod to before we try to briefly talk about what fell flat? Um, no, that that's about it. I and I, I really would love to give a nod to Natalie Portman and her performance, but she's just like she's just barely in this movie. You know, and when she is in this movie, she's just kind of tucked away for Anakin to go check in on every so often. And she's not even really given given a moment. The The closest thing would be when, you know, when she goes to him on the volcano planet and set, you know, has her little, you're going somewhere I can't follow. But other than that, she doesn't really have a moment. So I, I'd love to get give a nod to Natalie Portman, but I just don't think she was even given a chance to show her stuff in this movie. I agree. I I need to apologize to Natalie Portman, not that she's a listener of this podcast, but just in general, I used to give her imagine. Oh man. (laughs) Well, Miss Portman, I've over the years given you guff saying that you kind of phoned it in on this last movie, but I'd only watched it once and I was so disheartened at the time. Mm -hmm. You didn't phone it in. They phoned in your character. And I agree a hundred percent with what you said, Matt. She was tucked away in the background. It, it gives a lot of bad vibes for saying like, oh, well, she's pregnant, so she's got to go sit over here and not do anything. It's wild because in the last movie, in Attack of the Clones, she is an agent unto herself. She's investigating on her own. She is 
her own woman, you know, and we hard left onto this movie because all of a sudden she has no, she has no agency anymore. She has no say in her own story anymore at all. In both the original series, pardon me, in both the original trilogy and the new trilogy and in the first two movies, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, it's a trio. There's one woman, two guys. Now, their roles may vary, but they all have agency. We we argued that Padme didn't have as much as Rey or Leia, but it was still there. This movie, they completely ripped it out, and they completely ripped it out at the point where it feels like this was the time not to do it. When mm. she was just a queen and maybe still figuring things out, that would have been the time for her not to have her own run and run and gun battle at the end. Or when she's in hiding, maybe. But this is when the Republic is falling. She, as a political person, should be way more invested in that. Her husband is falling. She, as a wife, would be way more invested in that and have way more agency in that and instead yeah they just they just tuck her away and i don't even think i have to say it i think we're getting into a lot of the things that that fell flat in this movie and that is one of the biggest ironically i wanted the relationship between anakin and padmate to really stand out in this one i mean they're married they're gonna have a kid and it seems like all we see in that is yawn boring we'll put the girl off to the side yeah, and it's 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 clearly an important relationship to the canon because we get two of our most recognizable characters in the Star Wars universe come from this relationship. So to not really invest much of anything into it in this movie was just so sh- short-sighted. She was really treated as this this object, this thing that Anakin had to save, but she wasn't given her own like character in this movie instead Anakin kills her and there's potential for that to be really moving but they they didn't take advantage we'll get to that when we fix it some other things I think fell flat in this and I am really going to steamroll here because there's a lot of the obvious stuff here but Mm -hmm. now wow summarizing this is going to be difficult uh just on the technical end of this, I agree. There's a lot of CGI that doesn't hold up, but then there's just a lot of technical things in the world that don't make sense. You, I, I could talk about buzz droids and you know Jedi just sort of not fighting like Jedi when it serves the plot. But there's there's one thing I want to bring up that I'd completely forgotten about, and then I'll let all the technical stuff uh, die. Mm-hmm. When did ray shields become a thing? They they literally ripped Star Wars, not Star, this is Star Wars. They literally ripped Star Trek technology and put force fields between the hallways of the the Separatist spaceship when Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Palpatine are trying to get off the ship at the very beginning. And they're like, oops, ray shields. And Obi-Wan goes, wait, how did this happen? We're smarter than this. It's mm-hmm. like... No, how did this happen? This has never happened ever in a Star Wars ever. Why is this suddenly a thing now? And that was the really bright light glaring just inconsistency that that I just I, I want to call out and then I'm done. I'm done. No more no more arguing all the technical failures of the canon of the world. Yeah, I so here's the thing. I'm not in any way justifying it because I I had the same thought of like, okay, cool. This is 
I guess this is happening now. I, you and I have had this conversation. You and I certainly haven't invented this conversation. Star Wars is not sci-fi. Star Wars is fantasy. And there are a lot of things in these movies that I kind of write off with, well, it's fantasy. It's not sci-fi. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to make a hundred percent sense like I expect of my science fiction. But you're right. It's not just a, a like a technical inconsistency. It's it's an inconsistency in writing and in world building. It's kind of like how in the very in in Phantom Menace we see Obi Wan or uh, yeah Obi Wan and Qui Gon do that super fast running thing that that we see them do on the sh- the 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 Trade Federation ship, and then we never see that used ever ever again. There are a lot of moments in these, especially the prequel films, where a writer just decides, you know what, we're going to do this here. We've never done it before. We've never established that this is a thing. And you know what, we're never going to use it again, but we're going to do this here. And that was exactly what the ray shields were. Another good example is R2 has that like kind of silly little uh, cargo bay fight where he's like squirting oil all over the deck and then he lights it on fire. We never see R2 do anything like that again at Mm -hmm. all. But apparently he's capable of doing it once. He did fly in Attack of the Clones, but that was also weird because we never see him do that again. He just sort of hovers in this. Yeah, and the tone of that, the tone of the droids has always been off for me. Just the the comical nature of them, especially when they're getting sliced a bits and going, ah, and then we have Count Dooku who gets his head chopped off, which very shortly after the R2 slapstick fight and the the elevator, they're going up and down really fast and they can't control it and R2's trying to control it and, and it's just so slapstick. And then we have a quick fight and Dooku's dead and I thought, how unceremonious until I thought, no, but that's totally Palpatine. He has a new apprentice every movie and it's because he's been working his way up to Anakin. It just... It just doesn't feel like that in the moment, and it's because I think there's a lot of distraction in these movies. You touched on it when you talked about all the different fights and all the different kind of chase scenes we cut to. The reason those are distractions is there's no stake in any of them. Maybe with with Obi-Wan fighting Grievous, but at that point in the movie, Grievous is not an important character. Palpatine's moved past him, which is a great move strategically, but it just means we're having to watch this fight on Kashyyyk with the Wookiees and Yoda and this other fight that, you know, on another planet with random Jedi X and then Obi-Wan with Grievous. And we're seeing all of these things in between the, the events that are actually unfolding. Now, this is the opposite of attack of the clones where all of the combat and all of the places our Jedi are going is important, but we keep cutting to these scenes with councils and hallways that, you know, you don't pay attention to because, well, what's happening here? Well, if you pay attention, that's like where the plot's at. Yeah. And now they're kind of doing it again, only the combat, all the, the flashy battles and and vehicles that they're riding and creatures that they're showing us just kind of serve as distractions for what's going on. If you, mm-hmm. you, you talk about how long this movie is, if you took out a lot of the the just parsed out fighting that that has no real weight on anything that's happening, this would be a much better paced movie albeit much more talky movie 
which yeah. I think would have disappointed a lot of fans wanting laser bolts. But it's just it's such a disappointment because some of these scenes we're talking about that could, you could remove weren't they could have been great. They just they, you know, so real duels, be they saber duels, pistol duels, whatever don't last that long, right? They don't, they aren't these marathon events. They're broken up by banter and ribs and, and dialogue, to be honest. And there's so many of the fights in this movie are just long chase scenes with some clashes. And so that they, it's like you said, there's no, there's no levity. There's no, um, there's no stakes. You don't care. When you when you get to Order 66 and we destroy all these Jedi, you don't care because most of the ones you're seeing, you've never spent any time with. Most of them are killed from a distance. I mean, literally the camera, be it a, a physical camera or a digital one, is, is, is far away. And you don't care what's happening. There's no... It's like you said, e- even if you haven't watched the Clone Wars like a uh, TV series, you could still have a moment where there's that moment of betrayal where you see the, these, these seasoned soldiers fighting alongside the Jedi, whether it's genetic coding or whatever order 66 is. I think that's a little unclear, quite frankly, because they have, they known the whole time about order 66. Was this some sort of like embedded, sleeper cell it's, type code in their system later said it, it's a chip in their head okay because it kind of i feel like it had to be if, if they were fighting alongside them all this time but just to, to see that sort of dilemma would have been interesting to see a, a, a even a moment of remorse in some of the soldiers or the a look of betrayal in a jedi's eyes just there's so many little tiny things that could have been done to make those scenes make not not only not just more sense, but like make them mean more. To be fair, because a lot of I think our listeners will know they have since gone back and made the Clone Wars cartoon, which does do a lot of that and fill in a lot of those gaps, and then make even go even further to make the show Rebels, which talks about the clones after the war and what's happened to them. So, and there are comics that also cover it, but that, that shouldn't matter. The movie is here. The movie is now. You shouldn't be expected to read all this backstory. And that brings me to something else that is just a glaring, terrible thing. They introduce a villain in the beginning of this movie that we're supposed to know already and the characters know of already. And it just seems so out of left field. This General Grievous, who is a big, you know, toy and, a you know big just market sell point and even though i guess they've never met our characters know of them and he is now the leader of stuff since dooku's dead and it's just who is this guy where did he come from where has he been sleeping this for the for the past two movies and it's it's just so awkward it's it's sort of mentioned in the opening crawl Um, yeah but i feel like these prequels leaned on those opening crawls even more than their predecessors. You're, you're supposed to get like basically a whole movie's worth of information from about five paragraphs of yellow text. And then retain it when the movie starts and big flashy lights laser because the emperor has already been kidnapped. I, I don't really understand why, why Palpatine was kidnapped at all. Like if he's the, if he's the, the mastermind behind all of these movies, 
and he's a Sith Lord. Like, I, I don't understand. I really didn't understand at all the beginning of the movie. I thought he was trying to remove Dooku from the picture because there was a moment right before Dooku's beheaded where Palpatine tells Anakin to kill him and he just sort of looks over at Palpatine right before it happens and it should have been clear, but it never was. Who knew on the Separatist side? Oh, see, that's another thing is did Dooku know uh, that Palpatine was who Palpatine is? That is incredibly unclear. Yeah. And and, and just... Disarming, it kind of makes it hard to follow uh, what happens. Well, and, and, and like thinking it through, like, so if Dooku knew who Palpatine really was, then Palpatine wasn't really captured at all, right? He didn't look very captured. He was sitting in a big spinny chair. No, I completely agree with you, but I'm just, I'm trying to follow why. Like, why was any of that even happening? Because if Dooku knew, then... Palpatine definitely wasn't actually captured. This was all a farce for, I'm assuming, I I don't know what. Or Dooku didn't know, and Palpatine allowed himself to be captured, I guess for the purpose of, of further turning Anakin, maybe? Had he already decided that he wanted Anakin at this point? Yeah, I mean, we he's been wanting Anakin since Phantom Menace. I think, like I said, I think Dooku is just another line of temp apprentices to fill the slot for Anakin. Like he's had he's had an eye on that kid since the beginning. So that's that's ultimately what I think this was. There's implications that Anakin and Palpatine have spent more time together and got even more chummy than they yeah. were in Attack of the Clones. I think Dooku didn't know. I think that look that he gives Palpatine is a look of oh wait I thought you were a man of the law and you're and you're condoning my execution right now because if Dooku knew then th- none of it makes any sense it barely makes sense if he doesn't know I mean he could have just been told by Darth Sidious to hey come kidnap me we're gonna sow even more fear because when the home planet of Coruscant gets attacked that that's a good way again there should have been that should have been seen not implied. But Dooku would know that there are only two. So why would he be helping Palpatine groom his own replacement? I don't think he would have known that. I just think he would have... You know what? I'm done justifying this. Let's move on. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> we, need to, we, need to get to, we need to get to the fix, to be honest. So I think this is a good place to start. One of the things we need to see, especially in this last movie, is the machinations of Palpatine a bit clearer. We need to see that relationship with Anakin blossom. I think even in the beginning, I think have this whole kidnap thing that he set up start with him with Anakin and he gets ripped away and Anakin feels this this drive to go get his buddy Palpatine and then kick into kick it into high gear if you want with the whole rescue up and and the beginning of turning of Anakin just like in Attack of the Clones where we need to see Obi-Wan and Anakin become friends instead mm-hmm. of talk about it we need to see Palpatine and Anakin become close Anakin relying on him i mean we get a scene, but that's all we ever get is like a scene to reinforce that idea. And it's already established. The scene is just sort of saying, see that thing we're telling you, it's real. That's 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 just bad storytelling. So let's do good storytelling and show mm-hmm. that happen. And and that's 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 where I want to start There's there's so much more I want to do after that. 
but is there anything like just real quick you want to fix? Um, it's, it's quick, but it's big. And it's something we talked a little bit about, uh, in the last, in the attack of the clones episode. I think there's an inherent problem with this whole trilogy. Um, and it's, it's Anakin. Anakin is the problem. The way Anakin is portrayed, the age that he's at at various times, I think is a problem. And his, his connection to the other characters, I think is a problem. I, I, he's, he's kind of, he's kind of a golden child. You know, he, he starts this whole trilogy with this incredible, um, affinity for the force. Right. And while he is a slave, he's liberated, um, pretty early on in this whole thing. He, he gets moved up and given a lot of opportunity in the Jedi Academy and the Jedi Council. He's put on the Jedi Council early, but he just, nothing's ever good enough for him. And he has, he doesn't have a lot of strife. I still think that, and again, we talked about this in Attack of the Clones. I think a much more interesting story in all three of these films would have been Anakin's unrequited love for Padme, who doesn't return his affection. Padme has affections for Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan is a man of stoicism and you know, he he he's he's very much the monk. He's the I don't have earthly connections. He he acknowledges Padme's feelings for him, but doesn't return them either. And I think that sort of, um, it's not really a love triangle at that point, but I think that would make for a much more interesting story. It would make Anakin's drive for Amidala, this obsession, not even really love, this obsession with Padme more interesting. And it would make her character more interesting if she's not returning the affections of this guy. Um, and I, I also think that that just the casting alone is a problem of Anakin by the, as evidenced, if nothing more than that last scene where he truly becomes Darth Vader, it it doesn't even make sense. He doesn't seem like Darth Vader physically. We go from Hayden Christensen's voice to James Earl Jones's voice. Like there's nothing about Hayden Christensen that suggests that he's ever going to be Vader. It's ludicrous. He needed to be a six foot two, like Norwegian bodybuilder or something that had that by all accounts has everything going for him, but nothing's ever good enough for him. That should have been Darth Vader. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. In fact, I had a similar vein, uh, not exactly the same, but on the on the Padme love interest bit. I will say real quick, the trivia does note that George Lucas intentionally made the Darth Vader suit top heavy to show and put Hayden Christensen in it so he would be awkward, so he'd be uncomfortable in this in the suit of Vader. I, I don't think that came across clearly. I think it was no. Just he looks like Frankenstein's monster waddling off the pa- the pad, going no. It's it, it's the scene where he truly like becomes Vader should have been the coolest scene in these three films. It should have been the scene that lit a fire under every fans in in that audience. It should have been the best scene, and it was so stupid. We cut to these close-ups of like vials bursting around the room, but really it's it's this like clumsy, you know, newborn lamb that can't get his legs to work scene, and it's so stupid. He should have come off that table and we should have seen him like viscerally like an animal destroying everything in the room around him and Palpatine saying, "Yes, yes, like let that anger go." The scene at the volcano 
Kano, his like final confrontation with 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 Obi Wan, we should have seen the full transition from Anakin the person, the human being, to Anakin the like rage monster. That that Anakin's not even there anymore. Darth Vader is there now. He, it should have been. It should have been Obi-Wan recognizing that his friend is not even there anymore. What's left is an animal that needs to be put down. But instead, we get whiny, 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 whiny. We get nothing that ever suggests that he's going to be Darth Vader. Yeah, the, there's too much of, of this movie that requires the audience to just know, hey, you know those other movies, those, 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 those other movies I did where there's this guy, Darth Vader. Yeah, we're doing that. You know it's coming, don't you? And that was the attitude of a lot of the fans that I remember as I sat in the theater. There were these people that were like, oh, yeah, this is a bit. Oh, yeah. Like, it was just, just the drip feed of suggestion would get them, like, hyped. Yeah. So having so instead of Anakin being a child in Phantom Menace, had he been, like, 13, like a, like a yeah. early teenager. And he then we have, have like, Luke's age. A, Maybe, but I'm just saying, like, we could have still had him be kind of young, which would have made the whole, like, obsession with Padme more interesting, because he's, like, literally just entered puberty. And then in Attack of the Clones, he'd be in his 20s, and then in this film, he'd be in his early 30s. He'd be, like, a grown man who has no excuse for acting the way he does, but he totally does, right? I think that change in a casting change of someone who, like I said, is this, like, crazy, tall, blonde, blue-eyed muscle building pretty boy who by all accounts should should be very content with the way his life is going but is still just not satisfied because he's not getting what he really wants which would be Padme that alone like you could keep literally everything else the same in these movies and we've already bumped a whole letter grade up I think mm -hmm. Hayden Christensen was just so miscast in these movies that it's it brings everything else down let me read you something in the trivia that I thought I was going to leave out, but I think is really important now. Uh, in the trivia, it says, In 2007, Dark Dr. Eric Bu, a psychiatrist in Toll House, France, co-wrote a study that diagnosed Anakin Skywalker as having borderline personality disorder. When the authors reported their findings at the annual meeting of the American Psychiatric Association, they stated that Skywalker fit the diagnosis criteria, difficulty controlling anger, stress-related breaks with reality, impulsivity, obsession with abandonment, and a pattern of unstable and an intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of ideation and devaluation. And I just think, okay, yeah, I mean, he really did, and we really should have played on that more. He was unstable. I mean, aside from the fact that he was a slave as a kid, he mm -hmm. was ripped away from his mom. I mean, he had all the traumatic moments. We just... The problem is, is that he was also the main action figure to sell. And so we could never really villainize him until we turned him into Vader. Yeah. And, and I think that's the problem is that these movies have always been driven by the merchandise potential, the the ticket sale potential of the broadest audience. And that's not a secret. That was very known from the first one. I do right. want to say something to your, your relationship with Padme. I think... Our idea of having it be unrequited for the most part of Attack of the Clones was a good idea. And I do like the idea that at first she was into Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan, like you said, was stoic. He was the monk. I also personally have a theory that maybe Obi-Wan isn't into the ladies. Like, that's not his preference. It's fascinating. Oh my god, I hope they explore that in the Obi-Wan movie. 
right? I mean, and I, I would totally not only see it, but, like, be down for that. It was 2005, so I don't think we were going to go there. Oh, my God. So, like, Padme, like, basically sort of settles for Anakin, but that's not enough for him. Ugh, right. This is so good. Well, be- that's – and so they get – they do get married at the end of Attack of the Clones, but he is still – jealous and uncertain of her commitment to him even though i'd like to think that she would have been down like okay for sure you know. well and he's also obsessed with control in his life and he wants her to act a certain way and respond to him a certain way but she's her own person so of course she's not doing exactly what he wants and that further drives him mad well you're right and this speaks to the other issue we see in this which is he's an abusive husband emotionally and later physically and he is the villain of the piece yeah and if we had done what we said in phantom menace and made obi-wan the 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 key protagonist instead of having a qui-gon Jinn, sorry liam neeson but just had obi-wan be the awesome that is already established as obi-wan throughout these three films instead of he would have sold the action figures as we show this younger sort of almost entitled kid who who has suffered trauma but has not dealt with it just turn more and more into this villain as he gets older i even like kind of the age gap so that as he gets older and these issues have never been addressed since his childhood pr- appropriately we see him fall into this like being of evil yeah i mean i, I still like starting with qui-gon because that gives obi-wan his sort of purpose when Qui-Gon tells him to take that, that that Anakin is the chosen one, this is who you need to take under your wing, put everything you have into him, then that explains Obi-Wan's unwavering faith in Anakin because that's the right thing to do. Like he's obsessed with right and he's obsessed with with what's supposed to be. And even though he has his own personal doubts, he knows this is what Qui-Gon wanted. This is what I will do. And that's why that last scene at the volcano is him finally saying, you know what? Qui-Gon was wrong about you. You, the, the Anakin that he saw, the Anakin that's been my friend is no longer there. I, I think you're right, first of all. But I think what I would rather have seen was Obi-Wan realize the machinations of Palpatine that have subverted his all, all that he's been trying to do. Because Obi-Wan has been kind of aloof to what, not just what Palpatine's doing to the Senate, but to his best friend. And when he realizes there has been this poison bug in Anakin's ear this whole time, even though he tried really hard to be there for him, he, he realizes he's been subverted. His friend has been destroyed from within. Obi-Wan should have this sort of kind of vendetta against Palpatine, who who destroyed his best friend and replaced him with this monster, as he spent all this time trying to be there for him and failing. And, and I kind of like that. I still like that Obi-Wan feels a sense of failure. Like, I didn't come through for you, and I screwed up there. Yeah. Because this trilogy is a story of a fall a story of fall in the darkness because yeah. the new hope is the next generation. Hopefully they'll do better. And I mean, man, if that doesn't speak to a lot of pressures that, you know, generations, the, the up and coming generation feels every time. Mm-hmm. But the problem with everything we're saying is that really ends this entire trilogy on a very dour note with the understanding that a new hope is there and we can go watch it at home, hopefully. But I don't think they had the, uh, forgive me, the stones to, to to really just push 
where this was going. But if they had, I think cinematically overall, this would have made the prequels a very telling story. It's like, look how bad things got before we saw Luke Skywalker come of age. Right. All right. Well, we need to uh, wrap this up. Are there any other things? I mean, I, I feel like we're we're pretty much on the same page as how we want to fix these movies. Was there anything mm-hmm. else you wanted to throw in there? No, I think. Well, I would love it if the at the end the battle between Obi Wan and Anakin they had different colored lightsabers. It was just visually jarring to see two blue lightsabers coming at each other. I I would also, while I appreciate that Hayden Christensen, Ewan McGregor worked really hard on their choreography, I will say again, and this time more than ever, I really wish there was a good fight choreographer for this film so that we didn't have to keep cutting in, in the middle of the fights, all the fights, to something else so that we could come back to the fight with them somewhere else in an entirely different position because it just wasn't a complete fight. It wasn't there. And it just, it it technically needed a strong fight choreographer to, to line out that story. Um, But other than that, no, I think we, we, we hit the nail on the head and that, that is the same nail we've been hitting for all three of these is we need to focus more on the characters and what they're feeling and what they're doing. We, we don't need a million characters. We don't need these grand scenes as long as we can follow what's in Padme's mind. Heck now we're talking, what's Palpatine doing? He's really got to start taking a focus here. He's been in the shadows, but we need to follow the villain more. And that's not uncommon for star Wars to do, to show the villains interacting without any of the heroes, but that doesn't happen in these prequels. Well, I guess it happens in Phantom Menace, but that doesn't happen in this movie at all. We never see the villains operating solo. There's always a Jedi kind of spying on them, watching on them, getting the drop on them. And so we can never like, but the villain Palpatine is the biggest piece of this puzzle. And we would give that more play. And we would, we would give the relationship that Anakin had more play. Cause that is ultimately what brings his downfall is himself and his own obsession causes him to destroy that, which he loves and thus become Vader. All right. Well, before we uh, bring this to a close, anything you want to recommend for our listeners? I think I've recommended it before, but they've done a lot of good Star Wars stuff since these prequels, like Star Wars Rebels, which proves that you can. there's still a gap in that, that time between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope where there were some good stories told, and that, that was definitely one of them. Other than that, I am currently enthralled by all the good stuff on streaming hbo has a new watchman tv show that i'm all about and also i really like apple plus's tv show c with jason momoa mostly because i like jason momoa in post-apocalyptic settings so it's pretty much just a win there for me but i if you've if you've got access to those streaming services i would give them a, a check out netflix just came out with the next season of she-ra and the dragon prince and the crown and the Kaminsky method. There's just too much to watch. Uh, I'm going to throw out uh, part of another Apple TV Plus original that I'm really enjoying is For All Mankind. Uh, it was a super slow burn to kind of get there. And the pacing is really weird. Like, there's a lot of time jumps in that show. But I'm really enjoying it. And I think we should close this on another Star Wars note. Um, the Mandalorian on Disney Plus is a new uh, Star Wars TV series. And as of this recording, there's only been three episodes so far, but I got to say, 
I am thoroughly enjoying it. It's a very different change of pace. It's this, like, I think John Favreau has described it as kind of a spaghetti Western in space. And I, I think that's a really great uh, description. If you haven't already seen memes of Baby Yoda everywhere, then you're, then I don't know what rock you're under, but it's, it's it's so good and it's 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 a good length like they're half hour episodes um i I can't recommend the mandalorian enough it's it's really fun stuff all right wrap us up tone yeah i don't know what we're gonna do next but we'll definitely take suggestions i think after this we want to try and stray out of the fantasy sci-fi category for a while it was just we've we've completed all of my my bucket list for this podcast. It was talk about Spider-Man, talk about the Star Wars prequels. I've got all my rage out. This is basically therapy for you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That and an excuse to hang out with you. So guys, give us another movie so I can make Matt get on the get on a, a Skype call with me and and talk about movies like we used to in the old days, all right? Yeah, shoot us a suggestion. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash onlyontsd. Uh, you can also find us on 30something.digital. That's 30something spelled out dot digital. That's our website. Um, and we're certainly looking for suggestions. We'll come back in January with a brand new episode. So you've got all of December to let us know what you want us to fix. And with that, we have been your movie fixers. I'm your host, Tony. And I'm your other host, Matt. And I guess we'll see you next time. All right. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.